0: So before we go to Psalm 51, we, we have to go to the story that happens before Psalm 51. We have to talk about the story that happens prior to why David writes Psalm 51. So here it is. Here's David. And here he is. He's, uh, he's on a roof and he's looking around. Now, now, David is king. Now, David should be in battle. David should be with his people, and he should be the first one there marching and giving orders. But that's not where we find David. David's at home. He's chilling. He's relaxing. He's on his roof. And as he's on his roof, he sees this woman from far. And he says, Wow, she's she's hot. She looks good. And now this woman did not belong to David. This woman. Didn't even know that she was being watched. But David says, I want you. And he tells his soldiers, bring me this woman. And so this woman, she lays with him and she gets pregnant. Now see, this woman was a married woman. David knew this. David took something from someone that wasn't his. And he did something that was terrible. And she got pregnant. And so David trying to hide his sin, trying to figure out how do I go about like making this, you know, not come back to me. I got to try to hide, to conceal. I got to try to do some trickery here to get this to look way worse, better than what it is now. So what he does, he says, okay, I know that her husband, you're right is is at war. You bring him to me and I'm going to have him kind of lay with his wife and when he lays with his wife, she's going to tell him a couple months later, "Hey, I'm pregnant." That's going to work. That's going to that's going to deal with this issue. No, nope, that doesn't happen. He does come home and he says, "Hey, you know, eat, be married, enjoy lay with your wife." And he's like, no, no, I can't. I can't lay with my wife. I can't be at home knowing my soldiers are are in battle. And no, I need to be with them. So he doesn't lay with her. And So David is probably thinking to himself, oh, man, he's probably going back and forth in his room trying to figure out, how do I do this? How do I get? So he tries another thing and he doesn't do it again. He tries to get him drunk. He's like, drink, you know, how, you know. And still he says, no, I will not lay with her. So David's at his last and he says, what am I going to do? And then just continual sin gives birth to more sin. He says, I got a plan. So he tells his, his army men, he said, listen, this is what I want you to do. Bring it in. I want you to bring them in the, put them in the forefront. And what's going to happen is when, when the, when the enemy comes towards you, you're going to go, you're going to fall behind. And he's gonna be by himself, they're gonna murder him. That's what I want you to do. And so that's what they do. This guy's standing in battle, and he looks behind him, they're not there. He dies. David thinks he got away with it. Yeah. He's about to hear something different. See, the prophet Nathan comes up to David, and he God has shared what has happened to Nathan. And Nathan, the prophet, goes to David and he tells him a story about a far... um, tells him a story. And ultimately, David hears this story and he gets convicted by his sin. David tells him a story that tells him how he has sinned before the Lord and David is convicted. He says, oh my gosh, I have done such a terrible thing. And so Psalm 51... That we're going to read is a response to this ordeal. Psalm 51 is his putting in writing what he's feeling, what he's asking of the Lord. So let me ask you something this morning. Like David, have you ever done something in your life that you were such, that you were such ashamed of? Have you ever been so burdened with the guilt of your sin that it overcomes you to depression? As you sit there and you wallow in the reality of like what you've done, you, you, there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to seek. Have you ever said these words? There's no way God can forgive me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. There's no mercy for me. Could I ever be made new? If you've asked these questions, and I'm I'm assuming all of us have at one point or another, Psalm 51 is for you. Here's my main idea this morning. Because God is merciful, we have forgiveness for our sin when we come in repentance. Because God is merciful, we have forgiveness when we come in repentance. The good news for you this morning is that you don't have to be the same person you were. God can make you new. He can make you clean like you never knew before. Let's open our Bible to Psalm 51. So we kind of so We're talking about Psalm fifty-one. So Psalms, again, just kind of repeating of what we already talked about. Psalms, Psalms are collections uh, of poems and songs that come from different period of Israel, right? So when we when we read the Psalms, they're they're a collection of of, of songs and poetry and writings that come throughout all of Israel's history, right? But the Book of Psalms is so much. It goes so much deeper. I read this from um, an article from Desiring God. He said, if you read the Psalms only for doc- doctrine, you're not reading them for what they are. They are Psalms, songs, poetry. They're musical. And the reason human beings express truth with music and poetry is to awaken and express the emotions that fit the truth. What we see that in Psalm 51, we're going to be, we're going to study, we're going to see David's expression, emotions that fit the truth to the reality of who God is. Psalm 51 is broken into five parts. So if you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to transition to each uh, single part. So the five parts are, one, David's plea for mercy. The second one is repentance. The third seeks restoration and renewal. Fourth, the result of mercy. What happens after we, David receives mercy. And five, blessing poured on him and his people. Five things that we're going to transition to to see um, the way Psalm 51 is broken into. So the first one is David's plea for mercy. Psalm 51 verses 1 to 2. David says this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression. See, here we have David. He, he turns to God and he says, have mercy on me. See, David knows that mercy is not found in anything or in anyone aside from God. He doesn't look to ways to say, okay, uh, I'm going to try to do this and try to get mercy this way. Well, I'm going to try to do this to get mercy this way. He says, no, 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 no. No. I know the guilt within me and I know who I have to go to to receive mercy. And that is him who gives mercy. But what makes David think that he could even find mercy? What makes David even think that God would be merciful to him after what he did? God will find mercy? Well, look at verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. The word here, according, means that it's based on something. See, David's confidence of finding mercy is rooted in something about God. It's based on God's character. It's based on who God is. His identity is mercy, and therefore that's what he brings out. Look at Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. You guys can turn to Exodus 34, verse 6. Just, we're gonna, we're gonna be there, and then we're gonna come back to Psalm 51. So we're talking here about the Lord's character. And this is God speaking to Moses. We're about to receive something about who God is by God himself saying this, declaring about who he is. He says this, the Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is who God is. God is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's who God is. And it's because of this, David looks for him for sin. God's character is revealed, and he says, I know that I could come before the Lord because I too have read Exodus 34, and I know who God is. I can find it in the one who gives it. He says here, Blot out my transgression. See, the word blot means to wipe out to destroy. The word blot here is, is to wipe out completely to destroy. It. See, it's not enough for David that sin should be dealt with. He's asking the Lord, I want you, I want you to deal with it completely. I want you to restore me. I want you to make me somebody new who I want this out of my record. I want this out of my record. I know friends of mine who who've went into the jail systems, and, and one of the things that they ask for is like, man, I just wish I wouldn't have this on my record. Because it kind of shows still in a reminder to me of my identity. It shows me what I've done. And here Davis says, I want this out of my record. I want to be expunged. But could David be confident that God would be able to do this? But well, we got to go back to God's character. Look at Exodus thirty-four, seven: keeping steadfast love for thousand, uh, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgression and sin. Psalm fifty-one: God is the one. who who does, he, David could be confident that God would be able to do this because he goes back to God's character. He looks at God and says, God, you're the only one that can blot out my transgression. According to your word, according to who you are, you can actually do this. I can have confidence in, in who you are knowing that I could be cleansed and washed. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who do you turn to when guilt seems to be heavy? How do you respond to the weight of your sin? How do you respond to it? We all try different things. We, we pick up books, how to make your life great in two days. <laughs> or we, we, we seek out different ways to deal with it. We work harder. We try harder right? If, 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 you know, my sin is ever before me. So what I'm going to do is, instead of coming to God, I'm going to say, I got to work harder. I got to do more. I got to do more. I got to do more. But how much is more? When does it start to feel that I can't do this anymore? Do we hide it? Do we avoid it? Sometimes that's the easiest one to do It's to say, I'm just going to try to get this out of my mind, keep walking, keep doing what I want to do. And and I'm going to continue to act like it's not there knocking. Hey, you got to deal with this. Hey, you got guilt. You have sin. And so you hide and try to avoid it. Let me ask you this. Does it work? Did you find mercy and love in those ways? If you could be honest with your answer, you know the answer is no. Right? Right? It's still there. It's a consistent reminder that we are guilty and we need to find mercy. We need to find redemption. We need to find hope. Have you ever come to the Lord and asked, Lord, redeem me, forgive me, have mercy on me, O God, because you're the only one that can restore me. Notice that in this psalms, David is not only asking for mercies, he's also recognizes his, his sin. See, notice that David not only asks for mercy, but he understands the weight of sin. Look at verse 3. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you only I have sinned and dealt what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought from iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. David does not deny. And this is the second portion that we're transitioning out into repentance, right? So if you're taking notes, we're in repentance, verses three to five. David does not deny or hide his sin. The first look, the first act of repentance is to say, I know I did this. I own up to my sin. Against you I have sinned. Now David does not ignore that he sins against others. I want to make that very clear. God, David and nowhere here says that, oh, you know, we ignore the person that we offend. No. No, we don't. But he's saying that specifically here, he has sinned against him and therefore God is just to condemn him that's why he says in verse 4 so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment god is just to condemn david because it's because he has sinned against the lord see the reality is that god is holy god is righteous there's nothing in him that is unpure so God is right in every single way to say, you sit condemned. God is righteous and God can honestly tell David, no. No, look what you've done. God can look at us and say, no. David also tells us to in verse uh, 5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin that my mother conceived me. We were born sinners from the beginning. We were born sinners from the beginning of time. The moment that we were in the womb, we were already, we, that was it. We were done. Let me tell you this. I'm a father of three, different, uh, three kids. Three kids I'm a father of. You don't got to tell me that sin is, is something they're birthed with. Right, I'm a father of three kids, and I have witnessed things, and I'm like, oh my gosh. He, he did not just do that. He did not just, do that. He was, he was born with that. I, he didn't see that in me. So the reality is, the reality is that sin is something that corrupts us even in the, our mother's womb. David is saying, I'm guilty. Not just because of what I've done, I've been guilty since the beginning. Having have been guilty since the beginning of time. It's our very nature to do what is not right and to do what is good in our own sight. We always think that we have it better. We always say, look, God, your plan is good and all, but I kind of want to do this my way. My way is better. Let me ask you, how many times did that work out for you? How many times did your life plans come out great because you planned? Never. <laughs> we need mercy. And it first begins with agreeing with God about our state and turning to Him in repentance. Turning away from our sin and trusting in His mercy and grace the first steps of coming to him is to acknowledge, God, I did it. I deserve the punishment that is fully, I deserve it. That is the first act of repentance to acknowledge that, to say, yes, you're right, God. I agree with you about what you said about me. But see, for some of us, agreeing with God in repentance is the hardest part of asking God for mercy. For some of us, it's easy to make an excuse, hide or run from it. But to sit and confess and be honest about your failures makes us vulnerable and makes us feel weak and dependable. Some of us don't want to because it makes us feel weak and fragile. And so the reality is that God created you to be dependent. God created you to come to him to be renewed every day consistently to come to the throne and say, Jesus, I need you. He makes you dependable, so you're consistently asking, Lord, I need you. For some of us, to acknowledge our sin is to feel afraid, ashamed, and disgusted with ourselves. To acknowledge our sin as we sit there, and we and we're one face to face with the Almighty God, holy, blameless, righteous, and then we look at ourselves and we see all the things that we've done. We feel the the shame and the dis, being disgusted with ourselves, and yet God is merciful, and yet God is loving. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to be honest about your failures. Trust me, nothing that you say to God is going to surprise him. Nothing that you will confess to him will make him look at you different. His grace is so good. His mercy is so good that he doesn't look at us for what we rightly deserve, but he looks at us with compassion and mercy and love. David looks to be restored. David looks to be made new. He's confessed. He's, he's saying, Lord, now, now restore me. This brings us to re- restoration, our part three of Psalm 5, Psalm 51, I'm sorry. It says here, verse 6 Behold, you delight in truth and inward in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David declares something about God here that we have to know. In God, there is truth. And therefore, God delights in truth. We hear hear here that David says, God teaches wisdom in the secret heart. When I read this at first, I'm like, what what is going on here? I I don't really know what that means. It seems secret What does it mean that God teaches wisdom in the secret heart? It means that God is the one who reveals our state. It is God who reveals the truth about who we are. And and therefore, David's response is to turn to God for restoration. It means that God is the one who gives us the wisdom about who we are. He's the one that brings us to that place of saying, I need you, God. None of us here are are just doing that on our own. None of us are, are here saying, I need you, God. Unless it is the spirit who brings you to a place of saying, you need him. This is who you are. Look at your record. You need the one who can make you clean. And therefore, it is God who teaches us that, not ourselves. It is the Spirit that reveals who we are, but this doesn't leave us there. The Spirit just doesn't leave us there. The Spirit also brings us to the one who makes all things new. He brings us to restoration. He shows us this is what your sin looks like, but there's good news. Because on the opposite side of that coin is something great. David trusts in God that he could be cleansed. Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. The steadfast wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, gladness let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is David's cry to the Lord. This is the, the result of Repentance. He, he he is seeking restoration. David trusts that he will be cleansed. Notice that he says, "I shall, I shall be this way." He is confident that God is able to do this, even after everything he's done. How does God? Create a new heart. How does God create a new heart? That's what David's seeking. That's what David's asking in Psalm 51. He's asking, Purge me with high I should be clean, wash me, and I should be whiter than snow. He says here in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, oh God. How does God create a new heart? Well, He does this. By renewing and restoring. He does this by the means of the gospel. He does this because of Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 5:17 says this: therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God through Christ reconciled us himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It is Jesus that restores. It is Jesus, the one that gives us a clean new heart. It is Jesus that brings us to a place that we can be new. You don't have to be the same person that you were. You don't have to keep thinking, this is my identity. No, Jesus can give you a whole new identity, a new creation in him. He can make you whiter than snow. And I'm not talking about snow in like the middle of like January where it's all dirty and everything. I'm talking about fresh new snow that hits the ground. Have you ever just actually... Just picked it up and just looked at it and said, "Man!" And it starts kind of glowing and flickering. That's that's what God says He can do. He can make you glow. It's why David says in verse twelve, "Restore to me the joy of your salvation." But how does this happen? How does God renew? How does God restore? How does God make us whiter than snow and cleanses us? It happens because Colossians chapter 2, 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus, By his work on the cross, Jesus, by his death and resurrection, dealt with your sin. By his death and resurrection, he canceled the record of debt. You had a debt, and it was a long, extensive debt. But Jesus says, I'll take that debt, and I'm going to shed my blood for that debt, so that when they come to me for mercy, I can make them whiter than snow. I can give them grace they don't deserve. All he asks is that you would come to me and receive the good news of the gospel, that you will come to me and be made new. I can take that record that, that shows you who you were and make you stand clean. That's why he says, hide your face from my iniquities, blot out my iniquities. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's what we need is to be restored. For some of us here as believers, we have forgotten what that feels like. We have forgotten what that feels like. Some of us are not experiencing the joy of Jesus today because we've forgotten what is true about him and his word. Because we have forgotten that God is graceful. Merciful, slow to anger, loving. We have forgotten who he is and therefore we need to remember all who God is. Ask him, Lord, restore me. Maybe for some of us, there's actual sin in our lives that we must confess. Maybe there are things in our life that, that are holding us back to receive that mercy because we're choosing to hide it and to, and and to conceal it. And God is saying, no, 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 be, I'm merciful. I'm merciful to you. Reveal it. Because what what you're going to receive is mercy and grace. Because I love you. It says here in verse 11, cast me not away from your presence and not take your Holy Spirit from me. Some would say that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, when, when, when God could take the Holy Spirit away from someone, and, and and we see that in the Old Testament, but reality is that when Jesus comes, he gives us his Holy Spirit. In reality, in the New Testament, we see that it is Jesus who gives us his Holy Spirit. It's because the Holy Spirit seals us with the promise of what God has done in us. The Lord has given us his spirit that we know we belong to him. It is the spirit that reminds us of our sin, not so that we can wallow in the guilt, but so he can remind us of the cross that we have, that it can point us to the grace of Jesus. God can uphold you and he can do it with love. God can uphold you and and, and do it in such a way that, It's him doing it. It's not you. Notice the words of David. It's him that upholds you. It's not you. You do nothing. There's nothing that you can do. But it is him and him alone that can make you and restore you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Look at verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Two things are important here. We're talking now, this is uh, the result of what happens when David receives mercy. This is the the result of what happens when when David has, has tasted and has seen God's gracious, merciful ways towards him, that he can make him clean. His response is this, two different things. One, his response is of a restored person who wants to shout it out to the nations. Have you ever been so joyful and reminded of the joy that you have in Christ, that you just want to tell somebody about it? You're so like, man, I received this grace, this forgiveness. My debt has been clean. I need to share this with the world. The world needs to know this great peace, this great love. And so the response here, David is saying, okay, it's you who can restore my joy. It's you that can behold me and create a new heart and renew me. But then the result is that I will teach sinners your ways. I will teach them and I would and I will deliver and I will bring them to you and confess with loud songs of your righteousness. Or oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. His mouth will declare his praise. A response of a restored person is one who shouts it out to the nation. Is one whose natural response after receiving good news goes and tells that to the world. And second, it causes us to worship because we have a restored fellowship with God. See in verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it to you. You will now be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you would not despise. I came to know the Lord here at this church when I was when I was I believe 14 years old. Maybe a little less, I don't know. It was around this time period. And I, I remember when I when I I went to Safe Place, I remember when I heard the gospel for the first time, it was just like wow. Like, I never knew this. And instantly, the Lord renewed me, restored me. My debt was clean. I was made a new person. And I remember, and, and Stephon would tell me this more than I, I don't remember it. But I, get, I would get chased from school by telling people about Jesus. Because I was so happy and joyful that I would tell the world about Jesus. And people would be like, shut up. We don't want to hear it no more. I remember one time I was getting robbed. And I was sharing the gospel. It's because my natural response was that I, I received this good news. I need to share it with you, even you who's taking my chain from my neck. And then in high school, I got involved with a lot of different things. The Gospel, I, I, I knew it and I still believed it, but I was doing what I wanted to do. I thought I had it all, it was, I thought I could make better of my life than God. And so the fellowship of God was, well, it wasn't, it was there, but I was choosing not to be part of the fellowship. And even when I would pray, I would sense there was that feeling like mm, I'm not connecting with the Lord right now. It was because my life didn't match up to what I was trying to, to, to ask God. There was sin that I was trying to, that I was concealing that I didn't want to make known to him. And then when the Lord res- brought me back to him, he restored that worship. He restored that relationship. When the Lord brought me back to a place of brokenness, the Lord, and, and, I, and I realized that I, I had sin in my life that I needed to confess, and I confessed it, the Lord then restored the worship and the relationship that I needed to have. And that's why David says, you don't delight in sacrifice, oh, I will give it to you. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. I couldn't come to God and try to think like, if I do more, God, God, you're going to take care of this. But no, I needed to come in a broken spirit. God desires a broken spirit. It's not, it's how you approach God. Do you know that you're broken? Do you know that you need a Savior who can save you? It's not about how looking up, it's about looking down. And saying, Lord, I need you. David knew that a broken spirit is greater than any offering. A broken spirit is one that has nowhere to run, but to come to the one who authors mercy. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, but to fall on your knees and to say, "Lord, have mercy on me." In verse eighteen through nineteen, he says, "In verse eighteen, do not do good to Zion in your good pleasures. Build up the walls of Jerusalem; then will you delight in right sacrifice and burn offerings." And the whole burnt offerings and the bulls will be offered on the altar. From prayers to seek the mercy of God, David seems to turn his attention to his own people. Showing the importance of not just our own spiritual health, but the whole body of brothers and sisters. All of us need together to be one it's why in so doing and so doing good to each member would grow in spiritual health and embracing the love and mercy of God then this would be a reflection to the world who Jesus is it's why Jesus says you are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden god seeks to not only restore but he he, he seeks to restore those in the church as well So brothers, sisters, how do you respond respond to Psalm 51? How do you respond to Psalm 51? Believer, brother, sister, does your joy need to be restored? Do you wake up with the gladness that the Lord has saved you and has made you new? Or do you wake up with the feeling of condemnation and guilt? Do you wake up with the feeling of, God, you he, he don't love me? Do you believe the lies of the enemy that tell you you are worth, worthless? Oh, that you would believe Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Oh, that you would believe that it is he who sets prisoners free. It is he that makes depths clean and gives grace to the non-deserving. Do you need to repent so that the fellowship would be restored? Do you need to repent so that you can be made new? What about you here Don't, that wouldn't say I have a relationship with Jesus. What about you who would say, it's not for me or I, can he really do this? First John chapter one, verse nine, it says this, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can be made new. You can be made restored. Come to him as a broken spirit and he would not despise you. He invites you in. He invites you to come and, and be joyful. He invites you to give you mercy. All you have to do is ask. He does the rest. His death and the resurrection is a clear indication it is he that does it. My question this morning to you is, will you come? Will you come and let him make you new? Trust me. There's nothing that you can do to make your life better or work harder. The easiest thing to do is to come before the throne and receive the mercies of the Almighty King. In Jesus, we have that righteousness. Let us pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you make us clean, that, Lord, you make us righteous because of who you are. Lord, Psalm 51 is a psalm that is for all of us. We can be made clean and new. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praises. Lord, for some of us I pray that our joy would be restored. I pray, Lord Jesus, that our joy would be that we were shouted to the nations. That we shout shouted out walking out these doors that we would encourage one another after the service and just, just rejoice in the good news of the gospel. And for those on the other side that don't know you yet, Lord Jesus, that they would turn to you and believe in their hearts that you are the one that has come to save them. They would believe in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that you are faithful to forgive all our iniquities, to count us righteous, Lord. God, thank you for the mercy that we don't deserve, but you being good, your character, and who you are. We thank you for that, Jesus. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.